healing and Lord, we just pray over this word because this word goes out. There's there's people that do literally, literally listen to this throughout our nation, throughout the world. And Lord, we pray over these sermons. It's so important. The word of God is so important. And Lord, I pray that a mighty anointing come on the word, that your glory would settle over this word. The spirit of God would hover. And Lord, I pray that people, that our minds and our hearts would be totally captivated, locked into what you're saying. You would anoint our eyes and our ears. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. And Lord, that as you speak your word through me, to go out as living seeds of truth, the parable of the seed and the sower, that it would go out and accomplish that which you sent it for to do, that it would land in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. It will be a light shining in the dark places, dispelling all deception and lies of the enemy and bring light. And Lord, it will be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold and lie of the enemy. A sword that cuts away what needs to go. Let your word go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do because you, you promised that it would. It won't return into your void. It will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we bless this word. We bind any type of hindrance. Because the Bible talks about birds trying to steal the seed, and that's the enemy. We bind the enemy, back off away from the Word of God. We break your power. You're not going to hinder anything. And Lord, we thank you for a mighty move of God, that the wind of the Spirit to carry this wherever you want it to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you guys could leave that open too, because it gets really hot in there. There's not vents. All right. Let's jump into this. Um... God's given me, this is part 7 in the healing ministry series. This has been going all over the place, this series has, you know, and it's been really good. But I want to um, talk about healing in the cloud. Healing in the cloud. The cloud in the Bible always speaks of the glory of God. And the glory of God is God's manifest presence. Without belaboring this too much, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they we all know they were naked and unashamed. Okay, But at the same time, it said that whenever they ate the fruit, their eyes were open and they saw themselves nude and they were ashamed. Here's what happened. The first time the Hebrew word says they were naked and unashamed, I believe it was the word A-R-O-M, Arom, and it means partially nude. If you study this out for yourself, but after they ate the fruit and it says they're naked, it's the word E-R-O-M, it's a different Hebrew word, and it means completely nude. So they went from being partially nude to completely nude. So what in the world does that mean? Well, if you think about it, the Bible says that God created man in his image. And when the Bible describes God, one of the things it says about the Lord, I believe in Psalms, it says that he wraps himself in light. And that's the glory. And even though Adam and Eve were naked as far as they weren't wearing clothing, they, they were clothed in the glory, the manifest presence of God. Now I want you to picture this for a moment. Some of you guys have experienced this. You, you've been, you know, got prayer in the altar or whatever and you're laying on the ground and you feel a weighty presence on you, a thick presence that's actually heavy. You feel that. Okay? That is the glory of God. Adam and Eve had that on them all the time. That's how they lived. But when they ate the fruit, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Not the anointing, but the glory. 
And so the second that they sinned against God, that glory lifted off of them, and they realized that 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 light that had wrapped them, that glory that was there, that security blanket that they felt all the time, that thick presence of God that was constantly around them, all that was gone. And they, they, they got scared. They tried to cover themselves with leaves. They were trying to get that back on them. They didn't know how to do it. And whenever God came, they knew that they had sinned against God, so they ran and hid from Him. But nonetheless, I just want to focus on the glory. And so, this will be a little deeper tonight, but I want the glory of the Lord in my life. I just do. I love His presence. That's what matters to me. And I've been doing a lot of, you know, research and reading on revival. And one of the common consensus across the board from anybody who knows anything about revival is this. When you get touched with the move of God, you're ruined. Because you can never go back to to the normal, you know, dead churches out there and be comfortable. That's one of the reasons why I, I started River of Life was really truly for that reason. Because I, I didn't care about how many numbers or anything. I just had to have his presence. And, you know, and that's what this whole thing's been about, is just being in his presence and doing whatever pleases him. And, and I want it to be about the right things. I want it to be about, Jesus said, make my house house of prayer. I'm doing everything I can to, to encourage and promote prayer. And we have quite a bit of prayer going on. And he said to um, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So we've done everything we could to get out there and win souls and and just keeping it about the right things, about unifying God's people and and um, just having pure motives, you know, to glorify Him and not ourselves. Amen. All right, so Revelation one thirteen it says, In the middle of the lampstands. Now I want you to see John saw this vision. You guys, we have a lampstand over here. So just imagine these lampstands, and John sees a vision where there's all these lampstands that are floating around. And it says in there that they're in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest was a golden sash. But he was in the middle of the lampstands. Now, what that means is this. The lampstands means the churches. So, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 was what was. Chapter 2 and 3 is what is right now. Okay? And then when you get out of that, it goes into future events. But chapters 2 and 3 has the seven churches, and that speaks prophetically of all the churches in the church age. Okay? So, you have these lampstands. But here's the point. Jesus walks among the lampstands. The whole point of having church is for Jesus to be walking among the lampstand. And he stands at the door and knocks. But too many places don't let him in. I'm convinced, and I don't say this lightly, that if Jesus was allowed to come into a lot of places, those places would either cease to exist or they would be mass destruction. Because the, what they're doing is un, totally, completely out of his will and unbiblical. And if he really came in, he would clean house. He would, he would say among them, through people, he would say, get the sin out of your life. So all the people that had unrepentant sin would either repent or they would get offended and leave. You see what I'm saying? It would just, it would rock their worlds. 
But I don't want to be a, a, a person that has that in my life, and I don't want our ministry to be that way. I want to be someone and, and have a ministry where we say, Lord, we welcome you to come walk among the lampstand. If there's something that doesn't please you, just show us and we'll repent. If there's something that you want to change, just speak to us. So we're not stubborn. We're not going to be dull of hearing. Just speak to us and we'll change it. And then Revelation 10.1 says, I saw another strong angel. And many people believe this refers to Jesus. Coming down out of heaven clothed with a cloud. I love that right there. See, Jesus is wrapped with that glory. Now, let me, let me tell you what the glory will, will probably look like in the spirit realm. Not only is it a cloud, uh, like a smoke cloud, but also there's a shining about it. There's a light that emanates from that glory. Because in the Hebrew, the word kabod is the weightiness that you feel, but the shekinah implies a brightness or a shining. So picture Jesus coming down wrapped in a cloud. And in that cloud, you can see intermingled in there some kind of like a fire of God's presence and a shining coming out of it. And that's the glory. And there was a rainbow upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Now the Bible describes Jesus' legs and feet like bronze and fire. And the reason why is because bronze in the Bible always speaks of judgment. So when Jesus comes in, he walks among the lampstands. What you're asking him to do is, Lord, come in and purify me. Purify us and cleanse us so that we can dwell with you. And see, what separates us from the Lord is just simply the things that are sinful and whatnot. God wants those things removed so that he can fellowship with us. You know, he wants to be and meet with us and be intimate with us as much as we want to be with him. But when he comes, the first thing to come is his feet are going to come in. And that's the bronze. That's where he's going to begin to purify us. And there's the easy way and the hard way. Do you remember the scripture where Jesus said, if you'll fall on the rock, you'll be broken. But if the rock falls on you, you'll be crushed to powder. <laughs> so that's the, the, the description there is this. There's the easy way, there's the hard way. Either way, the job's going to get done. Now, if you fall upon the rock, what you're saying is, Jesus, come in here, let your feet be like burning bronze and just clean my life, purify me, just speak to me, show me whatever I fall upon you like a rock, let me be broken. And you know, that's the easy way. The hard way is, is where you're stubborn and the Lord has to fall on you. And he says, well, you, you won't repent, so now I'm going to have to discipline you. Hebrews chapter 12, he disciplines those he loves. But discipline is not fun. Alright. But there's an incredible move of healings that's in the glory cloud. There have been people that, and I'm, I'm contending for this. Now, Sousa was one of them. I'm not going to go into because Brother Zach already did such an amazing job. But you guys remember as he talked about a Sousa and they had that glory cloud in there. You remember all the healings? They said there probably wasn't a night that went by. There wasn't some pretty amazing miracle that happened. But it was because they were in the glory. 
And I'm thankful for the glory that we feel. I mean, it's getting thicker and thicker, but I want it to get to a place to where, I mean, we're all in here and there's just healings that just happen even on their own. I mean, nobody's praying. It's just like somebody goes, hey, I'm healed. You know, this this thing's gone that was there or something grew back in my life that was gone, you know. Well, how awesome would that be? Did you know in Brownsville the glory was so thick that, that Pastor Kilpatrick heard a woman scream out some crazy scream and, and he, he went down there to see what was wrong and she was she was looking at her father. I think it was her father. It's a father or husband. I think it was her father. He had had a part of his hand cut off and she was screaming because she was seeing it grow back on its own like that. And Pastor Kilpatrick got down there at the toward the end of it where he saw the final and he said it looked like stitching real fast was going. It was just back and forth and it was just growing out. That's just in the glory. Nobody went up and prayed for him. It's just being in the glory. The glory clouds. So I'm, I'm, I'm teaching on healing, but you can't teach on healing with at least getting to this right here. There's an atmosphere of healing. There's an atmosphere of the glory where healings are not hard at all. And that's what I'm believing will come. And I believe that it is coming. So how do we get there? That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Luke, Jesus told them to return to John the Baptist. Do you remember whenever John the Baptist was put in prison? And he, he was, obviously he was going to have his head cut off. But here he was in prison. And he sent one of his disciples and he said, go ask Jesus. Are you the one that is actually the Messiah? Or are we to look for another? Now what in the world is he asking that for? Because John the Baptist was the very one that prophesied, behold. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He said clearly, the Lord told me, the one on whom the Spirit settles upon, he's the one. And John saw the Holy Spirit settle on Jesus. John was there whenever the Spirit of God came on Jesus and the Father spoke. Even those that had dull ears heard thunder. But the Father spoke, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. John the Baptist was there for all of that. But how many knows when you're going through something? being thrown in prison and going through trials, sometimes it can get a little blurry. So John says, go ask Jesus. Are you the one? And listen to what Jesus said. There's a lot of things Jesus could have said to this man. He could have just simply said, look, just go tell him, remember the stuff that happened. Yes, I'm the one. He didn't do that. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, go back and tell John. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the mute are speaking. And so the man goes back and tells John, and John knew, okay, he's the one. Why? Because it's connected to the kingdom of God. It's connected to the Messiah. And everything, I hope you hear what I'm saying, Acts 10.38. The Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went around doing good healing all oppressed of the devil. So if you want to break down Jesus's ministry into like a condensed statement it's he was anointed of God and he went around healing all oppressed of the devil. So the way the Bible views all that Jesus did, he was liberating people from the oppression of the enemy. So all the healings, the, the miracles, the deliverances, all of that ultimately was the Son of God breaking and destroying off the devil's influence in people's lives. And so whenever John was saying, are you the one? Jesus said, go back and tell him what marks my ministry. What, what has um, 
validated that I'm the one. Because I'm the one that's going around bringing all these healings and miracles to people. Does this make sense? So in other words, what I'm saying is Jesus, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the testimony of the gospel really should be accompanied with miracles and healing and deliverance and the power of God and demonstrations of the Spirit because the Bible says that they went around, the early church went around preaching the gospel and God worked with them, what, confirming His word with signs that followed. So in other words, this is part of the gospel. That's what I'm trying to get to. And if we will preach the true gospel, I believe God will back that up. Don't you? But if you preach another gospel, He's not going to back it up. But if you'll preach the true gospel, God will back it up. That's why the Lord comes down and, and, you know, on the streets so powerfully. You're preaching the gospel on the streets. He really comes in a very powerful way. When I'm witnessing and talking to people or pray with people, I can always feel a very strong anointing, especially when I go to pray for people. A very strong anointing. Because the Lord is wanting to get this out there. This isn't to be bottled up. The move of God is to break out and get on the streets. So as I've already mentioned, Jesus cleans the temple. Then revival breaks out. Remember? He made the rope, the, um, the whip, and he went through and drove out the money chasers. He cleaned the temple out. He was grieved. Zeal for my house consumed me. And he went through there and cleaned it all out. And then after that, you read about how Jesus went into the temple and he preached and he, he healed the sick. He drove out demons. But before Jesus could come in and come like he wanted to, with revival breaking out, first he had to clean house. See, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. For things to really come into our lives the way God wants it to, he's got to clean our temple. And the church is also a dwelling place, a temple, a tabernacle, if you will, for the Lord. And so if the Lord, if we want the Lord to come among us, we've got to first ask Him, Jesus, come and clean house. That's number one. Once He cleans everything out that, that needs to go, then there's a, a manifest presence and there's an intimacy with God. Some of the places you go, things are so sterile, and it's because there's so much sin in the camp. But if they would just let the Lord clean house. But anyway, a true church is where Jesus is walking among the lampstands, and the miraculous becomes normal, and he comes with feet like burnished bronze to clean house. You know... Did you know in the Old Testament, revival was always talked about? I mean, they're always talking about, we've got to return back to God. I mean, how many times have you read in the Old Testament where the people of God backslid and there's prophets raised up? You've got to return back to God. They need a revival. They're crying out for revival. And I mean, that's all through the Old Testament. Did you know in the New Testament, there's really not hardly any references to that? There's a reference to... Um, to the fact that revival should be the norm. Revival should be, in the New Testament time, it should be the norm. Okay? If y'all could just try to stay focused with me. Revival should be the norm, meaning that there shouldn't be backsliding. 
and then coming back to God. And there shouldn't be this dead, dry church that you're having to bring life back into. New Testament Christianity, in actual fact, should be that it is already there. You understand? When the church was born, it was born on the day of Pentecost. It was born in the fires of revival. And that was supposed to be normal. That's supposed to be normal Christianity. But the problem is, is that the church has allowed itself to backslide and all this stuff has gotten unbiblical. And it's no longer Book of Acts Christianity. And whenever Book of Acts Christianity shows up now, people think it's weird and wondering what's going on. Alright, so let me get back to this about what I wanted to get into about communion. So the children of Israel, I'm going somewhere with this. They celebrate Passover in Egypt. Egypt was a place of great bondage for them. I mean, they were oppressed. They were oppressed in their health. There's no doubt that these people that were slaves, they were malnourished. You understand? They didn't eat good there. They were malnourished. They, they were worked too hard. And there's no doubt that these people were sick. And, and they were weak and their bodies were, were, were beat up and everything else. I mean, they were just tired. They, they were exhausted. And the Lord tells them to, to celebrate uh, Passover, what we know now as the Lord's Supper. And they, they go and they celebrate it. But I want you to understand how powerful this is. As they go to celebrate Passover and they eat that lamb and they drink of that, that wine, something happened in them. To where God, it says that they came out of Egypt and there were none that were sick or feeble among them. That had to be supernatural. That they were able to come out of Egypt after all that oppression. All that went on. And they were able to come out strong and healthy. That's a miracle. But what God did at Passover was, He did a deep consecration in them. He was setting them apart as His people. They had to apply blood over the doorpost of their home. The blood had to cover them. And as they came out from celebrating Passover, something had happened in their life. The blood was applied. There was a deep work in them. And now, whenever they came out, not only were they healthy and strong, but the Bible says they plundered Egypt, and Egypt began to just give them all their wealth and say, get out of here. So you got to understand this. The children of Israel went from being, no doubt, the Bible doesn't say real clearly, but no doubt they were sick, they were beat up, they were oppressed, and they, they, I'm sure they were depressed, to now they're coming out healthy and strong, wealthy. I mean, it turned on a dime. I mean, they went to bed one way, they woke up the next day another way. It changed like that. And what changed it was the Passover. The power of the body and the blood of that Passover lamb. And then they go out, and the Bible says, this story is amazing, they come out, Pharaoh and his army begin to chase them. And so first off, you see right there the power of the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to get in that in a moment. But the next stop, they go out to the Red Sea. God deliberately stuck them in this situation. They're having to depend on God. Okay, 
Here they are. Moses is asking God, what do you want me to do? Moses, uh, God's response to Moses, what are you asking me for? Stick your rod out in the air, you know. And so Moses is, is he's getting a little confused about it too. All right. Here's the, the awesome thing about this story. Pharaoh's army's coming. God allows an angel, but it was like a pillar of fire to go behind Israel and get in between them and Pharaoh's army. So throughout the night, while the Red Sea had parted and the winds were drying it out, while that was going on, there's this pillar of fire that's in between Israel and the enemy. The enemy can't get to them. Every time the blood is applied, it makes a way for the glory fire to come and to protect you. The children of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10, it says they were baptized into Moses through both the cloud and the sea. The baptism into the sea is water baptism, but the baptism into the cloud is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that awesome? So there was a baptism there. And they came through on dry ground. Now the same water that baptized them separated them from Egypt and shut behind them and killed their enemies that were pursuing them. The power of water baptism is not that it's going to get you into heaven, but it does help bring protection. It does. And that's why the Bible says those that repent and are baptized will be saved, but the word saved is sozoed, and it has to do with protection, provision, you know, healed, delivered, and all this stuff. I'm not going to get sidetracked on the power of baptism, but there have been people that have been physically, miraculously healed in water baptism. I don't know if you knew that. There's been people that have had major breakthroughs. It's a powerful thing. But anyway, they come out, that's their baptism. And so they celebrated Passover, and now, 50 days later, they got to celebrate Pentecost. And the Lord had already told Moses, you tell Pharaoh to let my people go, because they've got to go out in the wilderness and celebrate a feast with me. So what's the feast out in wilderness? Pentecost. So they march out there. They get to Mount Sinai. They're standing there. God comes down on the top of that mountain. His voice thundered. It was like a shofar blast. That mountain shook like an earthquake. The cloud of heaven was on top of that mountain and there was a fire that was burning and it scared them half to death. And they told Moses, they said, look, you know, you go talk to this God. We'll stay back here. Just let us know what he says, but we're not going up there. We're scared half to death. And God had already told Moses, don't let them touch the mountain. They'll die. So they're scared. They're backing away from the mountain. Okay. But this was their encounter with God. This was the nation of Israel's burning bush. You know, remember Moses had that burning bush experience. This was Israel's burning bush experience. And there's a little thing about that right there that that God showed me. You have to have a burning bush experience before you lead other people to one. Okay, so Moses had his, now he could take them to one. But anyway, they were standing there, and they saw this, and Moses says, I'll go up and meet with the Lord, make a long story short. Moses built an altar, he killed an animal, and he, he got the blood, and he sprinkled it on the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant, and he put the blood on them. And the, the leaders, this is my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the leaders were able to go up that mountain, and at Pentecost, they went up to the top of that mountain where God's presence was, and it says in the Bible that they saw God, and they did not die, but they ate. 
They had a feast there in the presence of God. That is Pentecost. That was Israel's Pentecost. They had an encounter with God's power, His glory, His manifest presence. That's the anointing, if you will. You know, we talk about Pentecost and we always anoint with oil and pray for be baptized in the Holy Ghost. But look at the parallel. Now, you know, on the day of Pentecost, when the, um, the early church was born, they were in there praying, celebrating Pentecost. They were feasting, they were celebrating Pentecost, but they were praying. And the Spirit of God comes in at that feast like a rushing mighty wind. They're baptized in the Holy Ghost and there's, there's tongues of fire. So just like what Israel saw on the top of that mountain, that cloud and the fire there, now they're seeing this fire on the top of the temple. But here's what God has been speaking to me. He's wanting us to go higher up that mountain into his presence. And that's why I love that song, Show Me Your Glory, that we're doing right now. Because to go higher up there is to be closer to him, more intimate with him, and more in his presence than we've ever been. But, it, but to do that, as I mentioned earlier, we have to go deeper in our consecration. So do you see the biblical pattern? The Passover prepared them for Pentecost. In other words, the power of the Lord's Supper, applying the body and blood of the Lord, will deeply consecrate you so you can go up in His manifest presence up the mountain. Are you seeing this? The power of communion now in the glory. Deeper consecration in communion, higher up in the glory. And that's what I feel like God's doing in River of Life right now. For those that are willing to really deeply consecrate themselves and keep keep just putting communion into your life. Lord, keep burning out of me. Keep cleaning out of me everything that needs to go in the deepest places. As we keep doing that, okay, it's like a, a continual purging and cleansing that's going on. You know how they, they refine gold in the fire. I've preached on this before. But they'll put gold in the fire... And then the impurities will float up to the top, and then they'll skim it off. And then they'll put it back in the fire. And what God is doing through this, the communion time, into his presence, is the same thing. The impurities are going to be coming up to the top and being skimmed off. I don't know about you guys, but I want to go all the way up into all God has for me. Now let me say a few more things about the glory cloud. God appeared in the cloud on Mount Sinai. That's how he appeared to his people. So this cloud must be really important to the Lord because you see it all through scripture. When he comes, he seems to come in a cloud, so to speak. Even when Jesus comes back a second time, he said that the nations will see me come in the clouds of my glory. You know? I want you to look at this. God appeared in the cloud at Sinai, but he also appeared in a cloud over the tent of meeting where Moses would pray. He also appeared in a cloud over the tabernacle, over the Holy of Holies. And look at this. Talking about at the top of a mountain, the top of Sinai, the glorious. Think about this parallel. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and goes up to the top of the mountain of transfiguration where he's transfigured before them. His glory is shown forth at the top of a mountain. Moses went up in that mountain, uh, up in that cloud on the top of that mountain, and received the law. 
But at that time, that was the word of the Lord right then that was being spoken forth. It was the living word for that moment in time. It was God speaking forth. How many of you guys know when you get into the cloud, you hear the Lord? You hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus, when he comes, remember his legs are bronze. He comes to clean house and purify so that we can come into the glory. Now look at this. Jesus, when he was, Acts 1.8 says, remember, you don't need to know the, day, the days or times, all that set by the Father. But he said, you'll be clothed with power, be my witnesses. And then it says that he went up from the Mount of Olives. His feet were on the Mount of Olives. He floated up in the air into clouds. And then when he comes back, he's going to come back in the clouds of his glory. And his feet will touch the Mount of Olives and they'll split in two. Just as, he's, as he left, he'll come back. And here's the last thing about the glory. The Bible says, when it's talking about the second temple period, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. I believe, even though it's talking about the second temple, I believe that there's something prophetic because the Bible talks about the former reign and the latter reign coming together. And then it talks about how Jesus, his first miracle was to save the best wine for last. I believe, this is just something that I see, but I believe the last day church will see a greater glory than the early church. We'll see a greater outpouring of the Spirit than the early church. And the Lord is basically saving his best wine for last. But to get the job done, to see the kingdom of God break forth, to see demons flee, to see healings and miracles, to see the things that we want to see, it's not going to be by human strength. It's not going to be by human ingenuity. And it's certainly not going to be a group of people sitting around trying to figure it out with their human intelligence. The way that it's going to come is the same way it's always come, not by human might or power, but by the Spirit. Zechariah 4, 6. That's why when Jesus came, Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. The Spirit of God came upon him. And Jesus went out and was tested, remember, out in the wilderness. But when Jesus came back from facing the devil, and he goes into the temple, into the synagogue, this is where he grew up, okay? These people knew him. So picture you guys coming here all the time. All of a sudden, you had this encounter with God and this encounter with the devil. Now you come in here and you open the scroll and you're saying to everybody that knows you and has known you their whole life, like Jesus, he, the people knew him his whole life. I'm the Messiah, you know. I mean, you see how that went. But he went in there and he opened the scroll to the part of Isaiah where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's just stay right there. Jesus started his ministry with the Spirit of God coming upon him. If you read it, I don't personally believe it was a bird. It might have been. This is my personal opinion. The Bible says the Spirit of God settled upon him, and John was really the only one that saw it. But John the Baptist said that it was like a dove. In other words, the Spirit of God settled upon him gently like a dove would settle gently. But I believe it was a clothing of power that came on Jesus. The Holy Spirit clothed him. Isn't that awesome? Gently like a dove would. And maybe there was a physical bird that flew down. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I, just, I personally don't think that it was an actual bird. But if you want to, it's fine with me. 
But there was a clothing of power. And what Jesus said was when he came back and he preached, the very first sermon he preached, and what he put his emphasis on was this. He said, the Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to deliver the captives. You see what I'm saying? He, he put the emphasis on the Spirit of God upon him to do these things. And Acts 10.38, as I quoted at the beginning of the sermon, God anointed him, and he went around doing good healing all oppressed of the devil. And interesting, when Jesus left and he told the early church in Acts 1.8, he said, it's not for you to know all the times and seasons that are set by the Father. Quit focusing on that. He said, you go wait in Jerusalem until you be clothed with power. Because that's what you're going to need to get the job done. Luke 24, 49. The Spirit of God will endue you, will clothe you in power. When I go, I will send the Comforter, the Counselor. And then you'll be my witness. And so they were not allowed to start their ministry. Jesus had just celebrated Passover with them. He died, raised from the dead. And he said, you cannot start your ministry, basically, until you're clothed with power. So go wait for that in Jerusalem. Pentecost comes, they're clothed with power. That's what they needed to get the job done. Matthew 10, 8, the Lord commissioned them to heal the sick. Now here's a couple things as I start moving toward closing this out. Signs will follow. You know why I don't put a big emphasis on praying for somebody and seeing the change immediately? Because a lot of times signs follow. We all want the signs to go in front. We want to walk in and everything just break out right there. And sometimes that will happen. But a lot of times you pray and then the signs follow. In other words, you leave and then things happen after the fact, after you pray. That's just the way it is. Many, many, many times I've prayed with people that, you know, they, they might have felt something or whatnot, but they came back later and said, Pastor Scott, I'm totally healed. Last three days it just went away. It was over time. Signs follow. Does that make sense? So don't put too much of an emphasis on the fact that they're instantly completely healed right there. Something has begun. And Jesus prayed for people and they were healed as they went. Remember the lepers? They said, Lord, heal us. He said, just go on your way and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were walking, still lepers. They're walking down the road. All of a sudden, leprosy began to leave them. Jesus never saw it because it happened as they went. That's why it's important to pray and believe whether you see something immediately or not. I love the stories that David Hogan tells. He's hilarious. But he says he'll go into villages and just pray for everybody and leave. And a lot of times he said he does not see very much at all. But then he'll hear about it later that after he left, miracles broke out. Prayer, fasting, Revelation, warfare, the anointing, and faith will equal the miraculous. Did you know that God is not really overly moved by prayers that are based on a person's good works? Lord, I've been so good this week. Won't you come and heal me? Or even, even the need. I mean, the Lord loves people. And, but even whenever they're crying out in sorrow, the Lord, I believe He's moved with compassion. But it's important that you know that it's received by faith. That's just the way it is. 
And that's why I've been trying to get people to grow in their faith. Because regardless of what's going on, it's available, but it's tapped into by faith. All right. What will change things is whenever you realize it's based on the covenant of the cross. That God the Father and God the Son have a covenant at Calvary. And we share in that completed covenant. So let me give you some things to think about. Jesus healed everybody that came to him, as I've mentioned many times through this series. Jesus healed all that came to him. He never told anybody, it's not my will. Secondly, there is no sickness in heaven. So God's not going around passing out sickness. There's not sickness in heaven. There's not poverty in heaven. And Jesus, everywhere he went, he said, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven. He's talking about what's in heaven coming in the earth and touching people. That's why the sick are healed and those that were in need, their needs were met. It was supernatural. Think about it. How can you take a few loaves and fishes and feed 5,000 people? Because he tapped into the provision of heaven, which was limitless. What you got to understand is this. As we begin to tap into the communion, you're tapping into what Jesus... Not, it's not the bread and juice. It's what Jesus paid for us to have. You're tapping into the covenant. When you understand the covenant rights that we have to have our sins forgiven, to have healing, and to have deliverance, it was something that is a, a covenant right that whenever Jesus went to the cross... He made a covenant, not just with us, but He made a covenant with the Father. There was a covenant that was cut, there was blood that was shed, and that covenant between God the Father and God the Son was something that's eternal, and everything that we need is paid for in that covenant. The forgiveness of sins, the healing, the deliverance, it's paid for. Now it's our responsibility to tap into that through faith. And I believe that God is wanting us as people to begin to mature some. And to quit seeing difficulties that come up. That all of a sudden we go into a panic. And we freak out and we don't know what to do. We're scared half to death. And God, I believe, is wanting us to stop responding like that. And start seeing things that go on as an opportunity to see God move. I'm preaching this to myself just like everybody else. When things come up, God's not wanting us to, to freak out anymore. He's wanting us to be so full of the Word of God and know His covenant, know His Word so deeply that we don't get in fear and worry and panic, but rather we're seeing God's going to show up and give me another testimony. And that's how we see it, going into it. And some people, they want to wait until they go through some major crisis and then... They're going to break out the scriptures and they're going to begin to quote scripture after scripture and try to grow in their faith and try to pray for healing. And they wait until they're in a crisis. That's the worst time to try to learn how to deal with these things is during that time. If you'll do it now and get the word of God in you now and let faith build in you now and, and, and you're established in it, whenever these things come up, there's something in you now to deal with it. There's a faith in you. Is this making sense? 
Another thing I'd point out, we've got to know our authority and power in Christ. Did you know that you really do have authority over things? You know, people, we need to speak to it. If it's a, if it's a, a, a spirit that's oppressing or if it's a sickness, we need to learn to speak over those things and take authority over them because in Christ we have authority over those things. And see, I can preach like this and I can keep preaching like this, but the bottom line is that somehow this has got to move from Logos to Rhema. This has got to be something that sparks faith in you and it comes alive and you see it for yourself. And only God can do that. If it can come alive in you, wait a second, I really do have authority over this. I don't have to keep putting up with this. But only God can put that type of faith in us. Faith is a mystery in that way. But it comes as we keep meditating on the Word and we keep hearing the Word. And it keeps getting down in us and it's like all of a sudden it comes alive and we see it for ourselves. That's real faith. Because it's something that that is in your heart and it's established in you. And let me say this. When the Word of God really gets in your heart and it's real rhema faith in the heart and you speak it out of your mouth, it makes tremendous power available. Let me tell you why. Because the Apostle Paul even said, if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Now listen, the same principle is there about healing and deliverance. First, we've got to believe in our heart and then speak it out. And that's why when we pray for people and we command like a spirit to leave, we believe in our heart. The Bible says you have authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. These signs will follow them that believe in my name. They'll drive out demons. And you've got that in your heart. And now it's coming out of your mouth. So in other words, it's coming out of heart faith. And then it, it moves. But it's got to get out of this intellectual realm and into the heart. Is this making sense? And let me give you another one is this. Various means by which Jesus healed. We've got to be in tune with the Lord. You know, I've talked to you about revelation. If you're not seeing a breakthrough, ask God, seek God about revelation. Lord, what is the deal? How do I get a breakthrough? And I promise you, God will show you some things. But also I'd add this. Jesus healed in a lot of different ways. Remember, he spit on the ground, made mud, put on somebody's eyes. He, he laid hands on people. He did a lot of different things to, sometimes he wouldn't touch them. Just command them, rise and walk, you know, pick up your mat. But it different, he, he did it in different ways. What I'm saying is, be in tune with the Lord. Because there may be a time to have an elder anoint with oil and pray, pray with faith. There may be another time where it's just simply you lay hands and believe the scripture. That we lay hands on the sick and they recover. Another time, the Lord may use a word of knowledge to come out and it brings the breakthrough. But we've got to be in tune with the Lord the various different ways He is going to bring it to somebody's life. Here's the last couple things. The altar ministry. How to flow in the power of God. And Lord, I just pray as I'm preaching, just get us so in tune, just locked into this tonight. We've got to get all this in us. Lord, in Jesus' name. Because I really believe this is important for the days to come. I'm going to need people to help pray in the future. Okay, I'm going to need people that are going to help me go through the altars and pray for people. And so if you'll listen right now, this will really help you. Number one, I'm trying to help you here. Don't try to go around and get a word for everybody. If you try to do that, that's how a lot of false prophecy comes. The reason why is because even if you have these different revelatory type giftings, 
you can kind of read. It sounds really weird, but you can just pick up on stuff. You don't want to go looking for it. You just want God to speak to you. So you're praying for people. You're not trying to get a word for everybody. You're just praying for people and God drops a word for somebody. Okay? So that's the first thing. Don't try to get revelation. Don't don't go through here going, I'm going to get a word for everybody tonight. You know, don't do that. Just if it comes, it comes. It's the Lord. You, you and I both, we want it to be the Lord. Amen. You want it to be the word of the Lord. But whenever you go around trying to get a word for everybody, that's how a lot of weird stuff starts getting spoken. Trust me. The second thing, this is how I pray for people. I'm not looking to get words for people, but they come. Number two is command healing in people. You can ask the Lord, release your healing, Lord. We ask you to let healing flow, but you use your authority and command healing. You know, sometimes it starts out partial. Like um, Jerry was telling me last night, he said, Pastor, pray for my eyes again because some damage was done when he was young. We prayed and he can see better. It's just not all the way. So we're going to pray again and more is going to happen and we're going to see it all the way through. You know. But whenever you've got to command, the way I pray for him was, by the grace of God, but just commanding those eyes. In Jesus' name, I speak to these eyes. I command them in the name of Jesus to see right. I command the damage to be healed. In Jesus' name. Release your power. And while and you understand the difference. The difference is you, you go in, you know, Lord, I can't do anything. Just and, and there's nothing wrong with praying like a desperation. But I believe that God is wanting us to come in with authority and faith and speak to the thing. I really do. And... Um, you're, you're commanding this stuff. And there may be times that you just feel the Holy Spirit upon you and you just simply humble yourself down and say, Lord, you're the healer. Just get all the glory. And all of a sudden, God just breaks in and starts healing people everywhere. You just got to move with the Holy Spirit. But He's wanting us to command and use our authority. Secondly, is destroy and drive out anything of the enemy. So what I do is, I'm not looking for revelation, but at the same time it'll come. But I go through, and the first thing is I command in Jesus' name, healing into every area, and I begin to speak to these things. Secondly, anything of the devil's kingdom that's been trying to hinder people, holding them back, trying to oppress them in any way, I destroy it in the name of Jesus. I command it to be destroyed and leave their life right now. I break its power. So many times. In fact, almost every time that I pray with people, I'll see people as I go through and I break this. I see, as soon as I say that, I see people jolt because something just broke like that. It's in the spirit realm. You've got to understand, we have authority over these things. You have authority over the demonic. You have authority over the works of the devil. Jesus, you remember Peter? He said, look, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Whenever you bind and loose, you have these, this authority. It's the keys. Keys unlocked. You have the authority to unlock this. Here's, okay, bind and loose. Loose means in the Greek to destroy. So when you go up, you say, in Jesus' name, I break this off. I destroy this off somebody's life that is loosing it off of them. It's destroying it off us, breaking them off, breaking it off of them. And you have authority to bind. Bind means I take authority over this spirit and I bind you in Jesus' name and they get wrapped up. It's just a spiritual thing where they can't function anymore. They were running loose, but now they're bound. You bind them, then throw them out. That's what you do. I believe the angels do have a lot to do with that. Because demons try to be stubborn until the angels step in. 
but they have to leave when you command to leave. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen a lot of this. I've, I've commanded healing many times. I've had people come back to me later. So, Pastor Scott, you know, I did feel something happen, but after, you know, two, three days or whatever, it's major change. Same with deliverance. Pastor Scott, I felt something happen. A lot of times people get delivered after I'm done praying with them. I'm praying for other people and their stuff's still happening and they're getting delivered and free and healed. Because once you command it out, in Jesus' name, I break the power of this, it goes. You can move on and it's going. It's happening. God wants us to believe that when we step out and command healing and deliverance, it's happening. He wants us to believe. And then the third thing I pray is for the impartation. And what that means is impartation means this. Whether it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit with tongues, or it's a fresh anointing from the Lord, or it may be like a mantling, or it could be that God is going to activate gifts that were not active at that point in their life, but now they're going to become active in their life. All of that falls under the realm of whatever impartation God has for them. So it's all kind of wrapped up in that one word. Lord, release the impartation you have for them right now. So those are the four things that God has led me to do. I command healing. I destroy the works of the enemy. Command to leave. I release by faith. Lord, release the impartation that you have for them tonight. And then if he gives me a word, he gives me one. But I don't try to get that. One of the things I'd encourage you about is really pray with me about this. But I don't want people coming in to a move of God. And they end up getting some false word prophecy or something. And then they get turned off and think everything's fake because they got a weird word. See what I'm saying? That happens a lot in moves of God. All of you, if you've been in Christianity very long, you've had somebody tell you something and you know, looking back on it, it wasn't the Lord and it didn't happen. You know. And that's okay because we're, we're mature in the Lord. We love Him and we realize they just missed it okay. But how about all of us set the standard a little higher and let's really believe God that we're not going to do that. If we're going to have a word for somebody, it's going to be legitimate. And, and if we don't have a word, we're not going to try to get one. I've had people try to get me to give them a word. And I've, I've told them, I said, look, I'm not going to do that. Because that's when you start getting into weirdness. Because they're wanting now you to come up with something. I'm not going to do that. If the Lord has got something for you, He'll speak to you. You know, and I don't go looking really hard for words. I mean, you know, people hear, well, there's somebody that's prophetic in town. I love the prophetic ministry. They've been a tremendous blessing to me. All the different um, aspects of the body of Christ have been a tremendous blessing. But I'm not going to be like, oh, I've got to have a word. How about this? How about we cultivate a relationship with the Lord in prayer to where he can speak to us? And then whenever we go hear somebody preach and they give a word to us, it just adds on to it. You see what I'm saying? But we're not codependent. I've got to go hear this person because they'll, they'll give me a word and it's like a codependent thing where you're depending on other people to hear from God for you. How about let's develop that relationship ourselves? And I'm all for the prophetic ministry. I love it. And there's a place for it for sure. But I just want it to be the real deal. Amen? Because it brings glory to the Lord. And, and I believe that the, the counterfeit to that discredits prophecy. And it, and it really brings reproach to the Lord. 
Because people come in and, and they become disillusioned. Did you know this is the truth? There's been people that their lives have been shipwrecked and really damaged because they got some prophetic word that was not of God. And they listened to it and did it. And it literally ruined parts of their life. That's happened more times than it should, for sure, in the body of Christ. So anyway, the next one is how do you... Okay, that's how you function in the altar. How many of you guys would like me to maybe do a little more training about that? Because I really feel some of you, God's wanting to use you in this. Alright. Number two, how to receive from the Lord. So, I talked about ministering, but now it's how do you receive. Number one is childlike faith, and there's an extreme importance of receiving by faith. And I actually, Pastor Stephen actually kind of taught me this. He's over there like, okay. But he did. He, he, he spoke something one night that really stayed with me. There was a particular individual that was really frustrated because everybody would get prayer and he would get, people get touched around him and he didn't get touched. This was a long time ago. And, um, and I was trying to talk to him about it. And Pastor Stephen said this one time. He said, well, he said, you know, there's, there's just a, a childlike faith aspect. You just let God touch you. And it always stayed with me because it's so true, isn't it? It's just true. Just, you know, instead of trying to make it happen, just receive. And most people are at a place where they're trying to make it happen. How many times, you, know, you guys didn't grow up in Pentecost and all that. A lot of you didn't. Didn't grow up in church, didn't grow up around these things. But those of us that grew up in Pentecost stuff, you remember, you would see people in the altars and stuff, they're praying real loud, they're trying so hard, and you'd go up and pray for them, and they're so caught up in, Lord, touch me, you know, just going at it, and it's like, you have to calm them down and be like, stop praying, you know, just stop, and just receive now. Let God touch you. You know, they're trying so hard. Receiving from God is that, I believe one of the greatest hindrances to people receiving is, is that they get so caught up in, in feeling unworthy. Y'all please hear me with this. They feel unworthy. Did y'all hear that? Of course you're unworthy. What do you think, I'm going to get up here and tell you you are? I, I'm not worthy either. <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, the blood of Jesus makes us worthy. It's His blood. And so we've got to have a revelation of the fact that His blood makes us holy, and therefore His blood is the reason that we can stand there righteous and receive. But people get so caught up with their flaws and imperfections. And number two, I believe one of the greatest reasons is because people have almost set like this rejection mentality within themselves to where they actually believe more that they won't receive than they do that they will receive. They're sitting there going, well, God will touch everybody but me. And they're their own worst enemy and they don't receive. You have to believe God's word. And God's word is that he wants to touch us. Amen? That's his word. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. They will be filled. That's his word. And God says, if you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. If you'll humble yourself, I'll give you grace. All of these promises point to the fact that you go to him and now he touches you. But people have set it up within themselves, well, I'm not going to receive tonight. Okay, well, you probably won't. I mean, we love you, but until you believe what Jesus said, until you believe what the Bible says. Or the next thing is, honor and bless those that are praying for you. I've actually felt that there were times 
where I was praying for people and God was moving really powerfully and I got to a person that was really dishonoring and disrespectful toward me and I would pray and pray and I went to pray for them and I I have felt this many times. The Spirit of God backed off and wouldn't touch them. And then I went to the next person and poof, the power of God came back again because they dishonor and disrespect. I'm just telling you, the Holy Spirit, He's not going to touch some people until they humble themselves and honor the people that God's using. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, where you can see, you see Jesus through the people that are trying to minister to you and you honor that. Does that make sense? So God is interested in us honoring. That's why he said, honor those. For example, if you receive a prophet as a prophet, you'll receive the prophet's reward. And that's the next point. Receive the ministry for what it is. If it's an evangelistic ministry, then honor that person as an evangelist. If it's, a, if it's an apostolic or a prophetic ministry, honor them in what they are. If you, re- if you receive them as a prophet, you'll receive the prophet's reward. The next one is, is be humble. Some people get too big for their britches and they think, well, you know, if God's going to move, I mean, surely he's, you know, it's going to be me first. Or, or he'll use me. I mean, you know, God's going to move. It's going to be through me, let me tell you. And then pretty soon, God, that's the last person that's going to get touched in the room right there. And the next one is, be open to any correction from the Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit, whenever people are praying for you, the Holy Spirit may speak directly to you or through the person that you need to forgive somebody or you need to deal with this certain sin or whatever. And if you'll be humble and you'll be able to be corrected like that, my goodness, once you do that, the, the, the breakthrough and the blessing will be tremendous. But some people, they're so easily offended they can't do that. And then the last couple ones is, let God pour into you. Stop praying and striving and just receive. You know, I've had to do that many times. I went to get prayer and I've had to, by faith, pull the anointing. I'm like, Lord, I receive it right now. I just pull into my life what you have for me. And I'm telling you, that is how you get things from the Lord. It's faith. Somebody will be praying for me. Say, Lord, I receive it. I believe right now. I just pull that into my life. I'm hungry. I receive it. And it's like in the spirit, it's like you're just grabbing that, pulling that under what God has for you under yourself. There's got to be a faith in it. It's there. You, know, you can go through and pray for a t- you know, a dozen people right there. And there's people that are hungry and humble. And they're like, Lord, I receive it. I receive it. And there's other people that they, they don't know how to receive. They're like, I don't know what's going on. And they're so busy that's the last point, trying to figure everything out, analyzing everything, you know, and, and they can't receive because they're all caught up in their intellect. Did you know that the Bible talks about the human mind is actually a great enemy to you? Did you know that? In the book of Corinthians, it talks about having a wisdom that's from above. It talks about a supernatural spiritual wisdom. And that the the mind, the human mind, is actually at war with the things of the spirit. And that's why these people, they're sitting around trying to figure everything out instead of just receiving. 
And let me close with this. Facing the religious spirit. The greatest enemy to the healing ministry, the deliverance ministry, revival, the power of God, is the religious spirit. Here's some fruit. Pride. They'll sit back and analyze, criticize, judge, fault find, debate. They're prideful. Number two, fear. Fear leads them to control. Did you know the religious spirit is all about control? Controlling the service, controlling the people. Instead of letting God be in control. Number three, it creates a stronghold of death, spiritually and physically. Number four, a religious spirit is all about conforming people into the image of that denomination or that church or whatever they think that you're supposed to be. They're trying to create you in their image. But you've got to break out of that and allow yourself to be conformed in the image of Christ. Did y'all catch that? The next one is legalism and ritual. It's a dead legalistic ritual system. And that's why services have got to be unstructured and and you've got to let the Holy Spirit move and do what He wants to do and just begin to move with God because you can't have these, these services that are so structured and legalistic and ritual. If you're doing the same ritual every week, God's not moving. You've got to let the Holy Spirit come in and say, Lord, what do you want to do tonight? The next one is the Pharisees were the greatest enemy to Christ and the Holy Spirit. They hated Jesus Christ enough to murder him, and they hated the Holy Spirit and blasphemed him. That's the Pharisees. That's the religious community. They really hate the anointing. And when a religious spirit is there, usually these people will hate tongues and hate the gifts. Very uncomfortable with that. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, the religious begin to squirm. Now let me give you this last point and then I'm going to talk about Azusa as I close. But this is an interesting point. Did you know right now, Israel, that I'm going to use a natural example to explain something in the Spirit. Did you know right now, Israel is the victim? Did, y'all, did everybody know that? Okay, so we have all smart people here. All right. Israel is the actual victim. Uh, they've had, I don't know, thousands of rockets poured on them and then they decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to defend myself. I'm tired of messing with this. But let me just tell you how it works. This is what I call witchcraft in the spirit realm. The media and different people manipulate this. Hamas is taking um, innocent civilians, little children, and putting them in front of them so that Israel, when they kill them, they kill children, and then they can say Israel is murdering innocent children and all this. Now... Everybody that that has any common sense knows how ridiculous it would be to make Israel look like the bad guy. But you would be surprised how many millions of people on planet Earth right now think that Israel is the bad guy. Even in America. You know, they think that, that these terrorists are the victim. So here's how it works. When witchcraft is at work, it makes the victim look like the bad guy. And then it makes the bad guy look like a little victim. Oh, we feel sorry for the terrorists. We can't believe what's going on in Israel. I can't believe they're out there blowing up all these civilians. It's so horrible. And and you're sitting there going, how can they think that way? But their mind is being manipulated. All right, and that whole thing with hating Israel is satanic. It just is. There's 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 an anti Semitic spirit. But that same thing is at work all the time. You know how many times I have seen in situations in church where the victim was made to look like the bad guy. 
And the person who was the bad guy, who was in the wrong, actually was made to look like a little victim. Even right now I'm dealing with something. I'm not going to go into that. But you know how many times I've had to deal with stuff in church? (laughs) And I was the victim. But I was made to look like the bad guy. And the people that were doing things that were despicable were made to look like little victims. It's witchcraft is what it is. Remember that. Please remember that. If you get anything from this sermon, you know, please take that with you because I'm telling you that's very strong. I could tell you stories that blow your mind in church. There was a guy, real quick, there was a guy that that his wife committed adultery. She totally destroyed their family. She turned his kids against him. And somehow, as unbelievable as this is, he was made out to be the bad guy. And most people went with that. I just sat back shaking my That's not uncommon in church. It's not uncommon. You can sit there and go, oh, it's very common that that happens all the time. People that are actually the victim in the situation are made out to be the bad guy. It's ridiculous, but it's spiritual. And here's what I want to just finish this thing with and pray for people. But what hindrances did Azusa face? And did you know that when Azusa Street Revival was so powerful, but did you know that there was disunity from the body of Christ around them, from a spiritual father and from within? Number one, the attack that came against Azusa was disunity. William Seymour wanted to connect with the other moves of God that were breaking out around him, but he couldn't do it. There was disunity in the city. And, not only that, but his spiritual father, Charles Parham, there was disunity there. And there was disunity even from within the church. Because there was one woman, for example, that took their whole mailing list and and left with it. And she began to try to use it to promote her own little ministry. So there was disunity in the city, disunity from a spiritual father, and disunity within the church. That was the first major attack against Azusa. Here's the next one. Some of the altar ministry, this was so new to them. You've got to understand, this was not going on in the body of Christ before them. And this was so new to them, they didn't have any formal training. They didn't really know what they were doing, but it was so powerful. But did you know some of the altar ministry, not a lot, not like 10%, a very small amount of it, was weird. Some people had come in that were kind of new agey, and they brought in this occultic weird stuff. And that's the whole reason William Seymour sent for Parham, because he said, I need somebody that's got some more knowledge about this stuff to come help me with this. But Parham came in, and he was too heavy-handed, and he wanted to shut down too much. He wanted to control too much. And Seymour said, if we do that, we're going to kill the revival. you got to go. And so you got to understand that some of the attack against Azusa was to bring in a little bit of weirdness in there. That's why it's so important to keep the altar ministry really pure. Amen? That's why I'm very selective. These people will pray for people and these people until there's training, until I know people's lives, until people get stable. I do my best with that. And then the next one is the ministry of the Holy Spirit began to eclipse Jesus. Did you know that the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus, right? Did you know Azusa, one of the mistakes they made, Frank Bartleman, who's an intercessor, said they got too focused on the Holy Spirit. 
and they didn't talk enough about Jesus. It was too much of a focus on the Holy Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? So the Holy Spirit comes really to glorify Jesus, and so their focus should have been on the Lord. But their focus got off of that and onto the Holy Spirit in his ministry. And then the really, what a lot of people believe was the final nail that went in the coffin of a Susan would actually killed it. These were attacks. Disunity, the, the satanic that tried to bleed in, and then the focus got too much on the Holy Spirit and not Jesus. But this was the final one, was that they began to name, they put the name on the building, Apostolic Faith Mission. They named it and began to move it into like an organization. In other words, they tried to bottle it. Once they did that, Frank uh, Bartleman saw it and said, that's the beginning of the end. And it was. It died shortly after that. So you can't bottle it. You can't make a denomination out of it. You can't make a religion out of it. You can't say, well, God's been moving, but now we're going to do this. And we're going we're to create this, this institution out of it or whatever. I don't know what all their motives were. But whenever they named it and they began to try to make it into something of man, it died. And the two biggest mistakes in revival's history has been trying to control the move of God, trying to control the fire, and number two, just not having discipleship in place. And so anyway, I said that to say this, and we're going to pray, is that we've got to make sure as God is going to continue to move, and, and I know there's a tremendous harvest of souls, there's something that's very powerful this thing is moving toward. But we've got to do everything we can to keep unity. Number two, we've got to make sure that everything's pure. You know, keep everything pure. And number three, don't get focused on, you know, they got focused on the Holy Spirit, but if you're not careful, you can get focused on the worship music. You can get focused on something else. You know, you can get too focused on a certain ministry you're involved in. Keep your focus on Jesus. And no matter how powerful God uses a person, don't get your focus on the person. You know, a person is just the water hose, right? Nobody cares about the hose. They, they want the water. Okay? The person God's using is just the water hose. It's not a big deal. Okay? It's the water that's awesome. It's the move of the Spirit. And God can use anybody. We know in Scripture, God can use a donkey. We know that God can use a rooster to communicate to Peter. God can use a lot of things. So don't think just because God uses somebody very powerfully, oh wow, look at this person. Don't do that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Glorify Him. Okay? And I'm going to do my best in this, that when God heals people and does things, I'm going to do my best to tell them, you need to start thanking Him. I'm going to try to remember that. You know how cool it would be every time somebody gets healed that we tell them, stop for a second. Thank Him. He healed you. Thank Him. And let them go ahead and begin to praise the Lord. I believe that would really please the Lord. Because it's going to get everybody's focus back on Him. And finally... We cannot allow it to become a denomination or, a, or some dead program or whatever. But anyway, let's go ahead and close out recordings, Brother Zach. I tell you what, man, God is in this place. I've been up here a few times.